to say. I'm out here doing everything you suck as cake. To a million from some bands trying to bust the bank. The way I'm coming, it ain't fair. Keep it playing around. Today, we're on Break Some Dishes. Oh, that's right. And we're going to be talking to Brian Kelly uh, from a foundation called Gathering Growth Foundation. Brian is an amazingly gifted photographer who is trying to preserve the legacy of our forests and these champion trees that maybe we take for granted. He is truly inspirational in what he's trying to do. And I, I think he's an amazing person. After we talked to him, it made me think about legacy a lot. And I, and I think legacy has a lot to do with why we're doing this podcast, right, John? We both have kids. You have a few. I have one. And I want to leave something behind for them. Yeah. And that this idea of legacy is why we're here. Yeah. And the, and the history to our forests, you know, and the way Native Americans took care of the forests, it's, it's an amazing story. So um, we're excited that we were able to find some time with Brian yeah. and learn a little bit about what he's doing. Yeah. So. Trees are incredible, incredible things of nature. And it's unbelievable to think that some of them have lived thousands and thousands of years and a lot of them are dying right now because of climate change more quickly than they should be. And yeah, Brian, and the reality is you can't you can't save them all. You right. can't you can't save them all. Right. So it's about preserving their their legacy. It's about memorializing them before they're gone, which is sad. It's sad, but that's where we're at. That's right. But you know, let's let's not dwell on the sad, John. <laughs> oh God, I know, I know. I, I think. But, I think we're gonna have an amazing conversation with Brian, and I think yeah, it will be incredibly uplifting. And just again, just listening to somebody who's passionate about something and has really found their way and is creating beautiful work is super inspiring. So let's let's just get started. What do you think? Yes, let's welcome Brian. How are you doing, Brian? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me on. So where are you calling in from today? I am on beautiful Martha's Vineyard. Oh, nice. Yeah. My two friends here, they help run this place called the Glassworks on Martha's Vineyard. And they're also kind of caretakers of the house that comes with the property. So we're staying here for the whole month. And I'm out in the vineyard uh, photographing the old growth forests and ancient oak trees and beaches that are all around the island that are really unique to this place. I love your background. Oh. You look like you're in a pine <laughs> cabin. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very cozy old like 1820s house, as is everything on the vineyard. Uh, it actually looks like you're using you know a fabricated Zoom background. <laughs> yeah, the lights. That, that nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a decent place to quarantine for a month, man. Yeah, Martha's Vineyard. This time of year, no tourists. It's just great. you and your trees. Yeah, it's been you nice. and your trees. And actually, we got like six to eight inches of snow, which is super unlike the vineyard. And uh, it's just been like freezing out. So the, it's not going away, which doesn't help with photographing it. I was like, oh, I have a month straight. All I can do is just focus on the trees. And now it's like, I'm going outside. Oh, man. Well, how do they photograph in the winter? It's just, I mean, I see, you know, you've done plenty in the winter. but Yeah, I mean, the, the trees, the trees on the vineyard are really, really unique because 
they're stunted growth. So basically you have white oaks that are constantly getting salt spray. So they're not actually growing up super tall and they also have really bad wind. So those are the, the strong winds. So the strong winds are always hitting the trees and they, they stay really, really tiny. And then their branches like go out like octopus and then they like go down into the ground to like restabilize themselves from their main trunk, I guess. So yeah, I mean like the the trees that are here on the vineyard. So to that point though, when the snow's on top of that, you don't really see that effect of like the trees going into the ground because the snow's covering that. But really, really beautiful out here. And you get to find some that are two, three hundred year old oak trees that have gone through, you know, generations of farming, grazing of animals coming and biting them. So they're just always like growing in these really unique ways. And then the constant interaction of the wind um, on this landscape. The photography that you do is so, it's, yeah, so incredible. It's a beautiful spot. Oh, Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We're, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, I guess. Huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Should, we, should we ask Brian to tell us a little bit about himself and what he does so people listening know why we're talking about trees and Martha's yeah. Vineyard? Then, yeah. yeah, tell yeah. our listeners about what um, you do. Yeah. So my name is Brian Kelly, um, without getting too formal. But, <laughs> um, I run an or- but we'll call you Brian. Yeah. Um, I run an organization called Gathering Growth Foundation. Our mission statement is to visually preserve the legacy of significant trees and forests in the U.S. Basically, like the bigger picture is that you have all these trees and forests all over the country that are super unique, ancient, whatever it might be. And there is just there's just not like a cohesive space that all these are preserved so that was really what I wanted to be able to do with Gathering Growth was create one spot that you could come to and see all of these trees from all over the country and see them at the highest quality possible. And that, that idea of highest quality is constantly evolving with technology. But what we do is we photograph the trees. We have photos with either myself or whoever's with me next to the trees. So they have this perspective of scale because that's really a bit, one of the biggest points that I try to make with these giant trees is you see a photo of it with nobody there and you're like that's a big tree and you put somebody next to a 400 year old ancient white oak and you're like oh shit that's a really big tree and then i also make soundscape recordings of every landscape that i go to just about yeah i was going to ask you about that now why do you why do you make the recordings so you know it's it kind of connects into how i view photography for myself is and this this is not just my opinion or like my idea this is um, something that I got onto from a interview that I saw several years ago by um, a really famous photographer Gary Winogrand and somebody asked him like what's the meaning of all your photos and somebody was like or his response was my photos don't mean anything they don't tell stories what they are are literally preserving moments in time and space so I like to think about that with these photos, you know, these photos of these trees, they're not like they're like telling like the history or the, the whatever it might be of the house, but it's literally just a time marker for that moment in time and space that in 2021, I photographed that tree. And the soundscape recordings act as that as well. And, you know, you can use those as markers in time where, you know, New York City, I mean, imagine if somebody had 200 years ago a recorder to like hear what Central Park or like the swamps of Queens sounded like. And then you fast forward that 150 years where you have a highway going through and skyscrapers and constructions. So it's just this like 
interesting dynamic that I like to try to add to photography. And especially because with photography, I'm always been limited to a two dimensional space. So I like to think of, you know, this audio is just bringing this other dimension in. So I feel like your mission is a little bit about the, what you do that visually preserve these legacies. So, but I really want to get to the why. Well, so, I mean, I guess to get to the why I'd like to go back to how I got into big trees in general, which was about six years ago, a friend of mine, we went out, we, I bought my first used car and we drove across country as you do. And um, I went up into Olympic National Park and got to see big trees for the first time ever. And you're seeing Western red cedar, Sitka spruce, and all these amazing trees that are 2,000 years old, 1,000 years old, and they're just massive. And so I grew up in upstate New York, and we just don't have any of that. And then the more research I started to do, it was like, okay, well, the whole Northeast has been logged over three times. There might have been trees of that size, probably nothing compared to the West, but like, the more I dig into it and the more I keep finding these trees just by randomly like driving around, there are, there's massive trees on the East coast. And so it's almost just like, again, it goes back to preserving that moment in time. So people know that this was here because, you know, you have like a 400, 500 year old tree or even older, you know, keep going back. If that tree dies, then it never existed or nobody's ever going to see something of that size for another 500 years. Yeah. I was getting at, cause you know, our podcast is about trying to solve the, the numerous problems that we face through design and mm-hmm. through people that are doing really interesting things like you and uh, you know, climate change and biodiversity loss. And I, I guess I kind of equate what you're doing in some ways to recording something that will may or most likely will not be around. Yeah. I think of coral reefs and I'm in California. And one of the things I absolutely love about the Bay Area are the rolling hills with the oak trees, the live oaks and the valley oaks, and they're just these magnificent trees. And I've noticed, especially in the last five years, so many are dying. They're just, they're dying and they're, they've got brown leaves. And then on top of that, we've got the wildfires. We lost a number of old redwoods mm-hmm. out here. Yes, I, I mean, between the, the redwoods, the valley oaks, the coast live oaks, you know, all these trees that can can live for 600, 1,000 years or more. But with climate change, I mean, and the wildfire. So I just got educated on this term, but there's wildfires and then there's wildland fires. And wildfires was something that was brought up as a way to basically scare the public. But then there's wild land fires, you know, these like natural fires that like are being fueled by what's happening. They're not should be used, I think, as like a scare tactic. Yeah. I mean, to that point of like seeing these oaks and these landscapes disappearing or dying. Yeah. I mean, it's sad and that's kind of why I'm doing it. And that's I think for myself as a photographer, I wasn't like this massive organization that could go out and like replant trees couldn't save the trees it was hard you know trying to like if you were gonna you know raise money to buy land like there's no i don't have that capability from a conservation standpoint so i tried to do what i do for a living which was photography so i was just trying to take what i could do and it took me a while to figure out what that mission was or like what the language was of preserving the legacy 
of significant trees and forests because I'm not preserving them. You know, it's just preserving their legacy in a digital and film format and audio. And video is definitely a component that I want to add into that too because then you get to see this interaction between the tree, people, whatever its environment is. You know, you have like, I mean, the first time John and I spoke, I was in New York City at a really famous tree called the Hangman's Elm, which is an English elm in Manhattan, lower Manhattan in Washington Square Park. And you just get to see the, the interaction of people all day and like people passing by, looking at the tree, people that don't even pay attention to the tree. I mean, the last time, right before our phone call, I was in there and a guy came up with a golf club because that little area is kind of like, unfortunately, there's like, definitely a lot of drug sales or whatever. And guy came up to me with a uh, golf club and kind of threatened me and was like, do you know where you are? And I was like, oh, I'm just photographing the tree, man. He's like, what's the name of that tree? I'm like the hangman's elm. He's like, are right, you cool? And then left. <laughs> no <way. laughs> but, but That's crazy. But again, like, so that tree has got a personal protector. Yeah. I mean, it's just has like, <laughs> I mean, and then I think it's also, I've had it happen numerous times, even since I've started this project where I photographed a tree and then like a year later, that tree got struck by lightning. It went down in a windstorm. And these are like 300 year old trees. So even to the ones that are the valley oak, I mean, the natural oak savannas of the West Coast are incredible. There's only one remaining oak savanna in the East. Ecosystems changing. And yeah. yeah, these. And now we've got, you know, now our hemlocks are. Oh, yeah. Are dying off, but that's that boar beetle, I think. The the, right? the hemlock is the woolly adelgid. So that the eastern the eastern yeah. hemlock is woolly adelgid. Uh, you have all the ashes with the emerald ash borer, and again, like these are this is another reason why I'm doing this project is there's so many areas that have been completely wiped out, and we don't have the record of what was. Yeah. Well, somebody like you, Brian, can. I think it's pretty interesting to think about how you can bring not just awareness, but appreciation, because a lot of people can't frame a tree the way a photographer can and actually see how beautiful it really is, because maybe you are walking under it every day on your way to work, and maybe you you just don't have the opportunity to stand back and admire the tree, right? I think it's so I think it's really amazing that you can you can do this and at the same time acknowledge that you have no control over what happens to these trees there's no guarantees just because you've crowned it and I love that you have these quote national champions so the national that you've champ- crowned the national champion stuff just want to clear up that is through American forests so American okay. American Forests, they're an amazing organization. They're the oldest environmental organ, uh, nonprofit in the country. They were established like I think 1870 or something. And so American Forests in 1940 or 41, I can't remember the exact date, they started the National Champion Tree Program. And okay. it, it was all based off a point system. And they started this program as a way of similar thing of like, visually preserving them. And then it got into this competitive sense though, too, where, you know, there was only one champion for each species and that's kind okay. of, and that's, that's more so why I started gathering growth was, uh, for almost two and a half, three years, I was an ambassador to their program and I traveled around the country specifically focusing on national champions. But 
the more I was traveling, the more I was seeing, I was seeing all these big trees that weren't champions and I would just kind of pass over them. And I didn't really didn't know how to catalog them and make a cohesive body of work when I was just focusing on the champions. That's why I started gathering growth foundation because I wanted to create something that went beyond just this one singular tree because there's so many that are, you know, within the point system, there's like a 10 point, a 20 point, a 30 point difference on between like these other trees I'm photographing and the national champion. But I think that they're just as important to photograph, you know, big, like in the larger scale from a um, visual preservation sense. Are we, so when a tree is crowned the national champion, is that it until something happens to that yeah. tree? Can another, can another tree come along and yeah. somebody says, well, this is actually. Oh yeah. And that, that an, brings, that brings in the whole world of big tree hunters. Big tree hunters. Oh yeah. It's a. Oh, it's tell a, us about this. Sounds very, interesting. <laughs> there's all over the country. There's big tree hunters that they're mostly just normal guys that, work a job and you know like this the, one of the guys we made uh, on the gathering growth website you can see a documentary we made featuring uh telling the story of this man named carl casey who i believe was like a retired cpa and he ended up at the time finding the largest the world's largest pine tree which was a sugar pine located um in like just north of yosemite in calaveras big tree state park that's like a pretty phenomenal thing to think about that this guy that has a passion for this, that just got into it when he retired as a hobby, he found the world's largest known pine tree. Like that's insane. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day about, about you. And we were talking about how, when we were kids, that was a thing. We would climb trees oh, all the time, yeah. you know, and you would actually, when you found a good tree, that was a good, tree to climb you got like excited about oh, yeah, yeah. this is going to be an and you would climb as high as you could you know and hope that you didn't get stuck yeah but i don't think we do it anymore right we have too many other options i mean, better, I mean who goes out and climbs trees yeah yeah i mean i mean i used to build tree forts i don't remember i don't know if, oh yeah i don't know if anybody's building tree forts these days but i also don't like now that i've understood and i know more about trees than i don't really condone building tree houses <laughs> yeah it's just an incredible True. it's a, so much stress on the on the tree so yeah the world of big tree hunters is it's pretty fascinating there's a lot of people out there doing some really important work as far as tracking these trees down recording all this data between american forests and a couple of other other organizations like the eastern native tree society there's just so much data out there on where these trees are what year were they measured? What are their statistics or their measurements? Um, and then the visual documentation side of it. I do think we are losing our relationship to our our trees like we had when we were children. Part of it is I think that we're losing our trees. And I think of some significant trees in that they're placed, like that elm, Hayman's elm, that are placed in a more urban environment or counter opposed to some architecture or even better where the architecture is built around the tree because the tree brings so much added value. I think of this hotel, the, one of the oldest hotels on Waikiki beach, Moana Surfrider hotel. And it, mm -hmm. it's basically a tree, a building around a, a giant tree. And I yeah. wonder what's going to happen when that tree goes and it, yeah. that hotel won't be the same right and then there's downtown oakland as well they have their symbol for oakland is an oak tree yeah, yeah. california live oak. and there is actually a, a live oak 
an old, old, old live oak on Franco Gala Plaza in downtown Oakland. And uh, yeah. Do you think you still appreciate trees? It sounds like you appreciate trees. Oh, I, I, I mean, you're an artist, so yeah, maybe. I grew up in the East Bay with, with these live oaks yeah. and valley oaks. I'm just sad. Every every time I drive and look at the environment that I've always loved all my life growing up, I'm sad I think yeah. about just that it's changing and not adapting well to climate change. And yeah, um, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, and I, and I think there's an exponential factor that we don't realize. And I think things are going to die out quick, more quickly than we I hate to be. I'm a downer again, John. Two episodes in a row. What is happening to me? Verda, I don't know. No. We got to do something. We have to. <laughs> no, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> things are going to get a lot worse before I think they get better. In what in whatever happens, I don't know. I mean, yeah, because I I mean I constantly think about the same thing with what I'm doing. It's just like the trees are everything. Everything is going to die eventually. Right. Do you hear about it, Brian? When you when a tree dies or gets struck by lightning or gets you know, do you is there sort of a a communication system? No, amongst this community, unfortunately not. So have you ever gone out to a tree to photograph oh, yeah. and find it gone? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there there was um there was an instance when I was still contracted with American Forest where I went to go photograph. At the time it was the national champion Pacific Dogwood and it was the photos I had seen of it were absolutely gorgeous and I was like, "All right, I'm excited. I think it might be in bloom this time of year." And I go out to where it was, this old like neighborhood in southwest Portland, Portland, Oregon. And when I get there, I don't see it. And I'm like looking at my address. I'm like, I think this is it. And I like do loops around the block. And I finally come back to the spot. I'm like, this is it. And in its place was a two story condo. And so for me, that was one of the first like instances where this really happened of like, okay, this is, you know, an example of suburban sprawl, but it's also like, there, I mean, there's so many ways you can look at it, but what, what did bother me of that instance was the guy that at the time there was the construction crew for this condo, they weren't finished yet. And he became aggressive towards me wanting to photograph it to the point where he then looked at my plates, my driver or my, uh, my license plates. And he goes, Oh, you're from New York. You must be a Democrat. And then it just like went into this whole other thing about politics. Yeah, and I'm just like, I was trying to photograph the tree, man. Like he's like, no, uh, you're trying to, you're trying to like prove something and get me in trouble. And I'm like, yeah, but no, like I'm not going to get in trouble, <laughs> but I am trying to prove a point or like at least yeah. preserve it. Um, but I just went back the next day because the dude basically at that point was like threatening me and told me to get in my car. So I was like, whatever. Was the tree already taken down by then? Yeah, and you were the photograph that was left of it? Yeah. Yeah, it was completely. Wow. So I mean, I photographed just the building and then put underneath as the title what it was. And I think wow. that that's actually one, probably one of the more in the collection, you know, when you really look at the archive as a whole, and then you see this building but with the title. And I think that's probably one of the strongest images that I've been able to you know, It reminds me of that, that children's book. I'm not going to remember the name of it. The Giving Tree? The Giving Tree. Uh, yeah, a horrible book. <laughs> saddest book. It's the saddest book in the world. It's also, okay, I think it we've so taken sad. Yeah. everybody does. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I'm done with the giving tree. No, I was going to talk about um, when you were when you were talking, describing how you feel when you drive through these areas of where you live and seeing certain trees dying or like the scarring from wildland fires. I think like people's interaction with trees specifically is just getting like there's no form of education. Like our schools, of course, aren't educating people on how to interact with nature. You know, go go beyond just trees specifically to talk about nature. You know, there's no sense of respect. And that also can come with, besides the education, it's your interaction. So if you grew up in a major city like New York or Pittsburgh or something like that, and you aren't in touch with nature and your idea is, well, I can get everything I need from a grocery store. I can go to a store and I can get everything I need. And I don't have to think twice about it. And I have this money that tells me I can get this. Yeah. That, that, that right there leaves no room for respect for the thing that makes everything that we just interacted with and that we like say that we deserve with this money. Um, it's so true. Connecting to nature. I, I'm not sure if it was Project Drawdown or somewhere where one of the ways to fight climate change is to, mm-hmm. to get people to connect, interact with nature just yeah i mean like i feel it again yeah i feel like i feel like i might have talked a little bit about it with john but again like going back to the interaction with nature and trees an arborist friend of mine up in portland oregon he got hired by a town neighboring to come out and do an evaluation of trees in a community park he took one look at the trees and he's like yeah like all the trees the soil around the trees is completely compacted because everybody just loves sitting around the base of the trees and you you know look at that over the timeline of like the last 80 years of people just loving this park and loving the trees and sitting underneath them you're killing the trees it's the same if if like in new york city you got like a tree in this little small square and all around it's pavement like that thing's not doing so hot you know when the town was like well what do you suggest we do and he goes you should we come in we remove a bunch of topsoil. We put in all new topsoil and then we shut the park down for like two, three years and not let anybody interact with that. And he's like, then the the trees might survive. And the town, that's incredible. Like, no way. Like we won't do this. Like basically saying that like the people love this park. And he's like, well, do the people love the park or do they love the trees? Mm -hmm. And the truth is that people love the trees. That's what made the park. If it was just this blank open space, people might not interact with it the same way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So what happened? Did they close the park? I don't know. I, have, the, I haven't the followed one. up with them. I don't have, <laughs> Did the trees I, win? Uh, yeah, no closure. Or short, short-term enjoyment. I think yeah. of trees. Some trees are so incredibly resilient. It's unbelievable where and how long they live in crazy conditions. But you know, well, think, think about it, the trees that grow on a on a ski slope, Verda, right? Uh-huh. Like you see those twisted, gnarly pines uh-huh. that are trying to survive in that horrible climate, and yeah. you you get the impression that a tree can survive a lot. I read a story about an oak tree, a really famous oak tree in Oakland. It's the oldest oak tree, and it it survived because it it grew on this craggy rocky area where the loggers could get to well that's that's the same like up in um uh the niagara area on the canadian and new york side all along the niagara gorge um there's a bunch of they've like 
been able to verify like thousand year old Eastern red cedars. But when you look at them, you know, they're not that big, but they're basically just, I mean, they're a long living species. And again, going back to like the loggers missed them because they were on these rocky outcrops on like the edges of gorge, just like that you probably just would never want to go to. Plus the thing doesn't look like it's worth anything of value, you know, cause it's all twisted and like mangled by the wind. So yeah, like, I mean, to the same point with the oak, yeah, like sometimes the oldest trees aren't the biggest trees. So have you photographed any really ugly, I mean, ugly oh, yeah. is a <laughs> term, relative term, but what are some of the less, or let's just say less ideal um, in terms of our, you know, our well, picture so, of a tree? Yeah. I mean, so there's this area in Western New York called the Zor Valley Recreational Area, and it's uh, managed by a unique something, unique area, Zor Valley Unique Area. But the Nature Conservancy manages it. Within this area of the Zor Valley, it's this the Catasaragas Creek, and then on, on either side of the creek are these massive cliffs. And around the edges of certain areas on the cliffs, you get these you know ancient uh, eastern red cedars and junipers, kind of same thing, but super like basically on the edges just like growing and they just look like weird snaky things then they come up and they have this little like poof of you know juniper scales or whatever and these are like 500 years old maybe it's like something dr seuss would yeah um (laughs) yeah i mean between that and um even here on martha's vineyard there's a couple really famous trees there's this one they call the kwansu oak and the kwansu oak you can tell you can tell the whole area at one point was like completely farmland. And then this one tree was trying to grow. And imagine like if a tree shoots straight out of the ground, but it, it, at the age of like one years old, a uh, sheep comes over and eats it all the way back down to the base. Well, the root's still alive. So then it sends out another. And maybe at this time it like sent out two. And then sheep came, ate it again. And that happened over and over and over again. So there's this one oak tree that's just as like, it, it, it's hard to explain. It just looks like an octopus coming out of the ground with all these wow. tentacles. And this one tree is probably, I don't, I mean, nobody can really confirm because it's all just coming out and it just looks like branches coming out of the ground. But I mean, each branch looks like a tree. And I think they had cord one and like one of the branches alone was like 250 years old. Wow. Aren't Aspen, yeah. aren't they all interconnected that Some way? are. Well, I mean, I don't know enough about that, but yeah, I mean, there is that one that's out in yeah. Fish Lake National Forest in Utah that's called Pando. And it's the oldest living single organism, I believe. It's one single male Aspen tree. That's like a whole root system that's eighty thousand years old, which is incredible. That's crazy, and it's dying. Makes me, yeah. <laughs> uh, makes me think we all need to rethink beauty. Yeah, what we're thinking of this as an ideal. I think of these old trees as almost like sages. You know, these yeah. old wise, yeah, people that that still roam the earth. And yeah, uh, and yeah. I love this idea of these portraits of them and, and that there's, there's um, beauty even in these craggy. Oh yeah. yeah, naughty ones as well as the the ones yeah. that we traditionally imagine as beautiful. Yeah. And and your photographs, Brian. I mean, your photographs are beautiful, but you take photographs of trees, you know, that are 
one of these champion trees, but it's next to a dry cleaners, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it, you know, that juxtaposition of this tree that's centuries old and we've sort of developed things around it. And maybe it's just purely serendipitous that that tree is still there because nobody needed to cut it down. But, but, you know, there it sits. Yeah. yeah I think champion trees in suburban areas is, it's a weird thing to document, but it's also super important because you definitely, you yeah. definitely know which one's probably been there longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but For sure. there's, um, there's this really, really amazing photographer, fine artist. Her name is Rachel Sussman. And she came out with a book, I think like at this point, maybe 10 years ago, but it's called the oldest living things in the world. I believe that's the title. And that was another like catalyst to this whole project is me seeing this book that really got me excited about tracking down these old ancient uh, trees because she spent, I think like 10 years photographing uh, the oldest living things in the world. And her baseline was starting at 3000 years old. So everything, everything 3000 years and over is what she started photographing, you know, and that's several of them were trees, you know, you had like a spruce tree that was like 8,000 years old. And I think like Finland or something. Yeah. Then she was like, she was like deep diving, find like this type of brain coral that was like, I think it was like 50,000 years old. I can't remember all the, all the dates and years, but I think I just love that idea of like these less like, assuming things you know yeah like similar to like you're talking yeah. about with the weird like trees that people might just graze over because it's not this like it's not the giant sequoias or the redwood well and i love that you are i mean i i, I want to say you're preserving but you're not preserving you're preserving a memory of these these majestic things because i i do you remember uh, you know i'm i live in new england and they they've had this rock formation up in the white mountains of new hampshire called the old man on the mountain Remember that? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a rock formation that looked like the profile of an old man. And one day people woke up and it was just gone. It had dislodged and slid off the face of the mountain, mm -hmm. right? Naturally erosion, yep. water, all that stuff, you know, after many, many years. So, you know, it's good that we're documenting these things because we just, I think, assume it's always going to be there yeah. and it is what it totally. is. And, and then one day it's not, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these big trees that I go to, either the town or the arborists that are caretaking for these trees, what they'll do is they'll rig up a wire system, a metal wire system in a lot of these really big trees because if lightning hits them, the metal takes it into the ground and the tree doesn't oh. absorb any of it. So oh. like a lot of these bigger trees are good idea. being taken care of in that way. Yeah. Awesome. Have you ever come across a conservationist, conservationalist who is unexpected? Somebody that you didn't expect would be out there um, advocating for these trees? No, I mean, most of the time, everybody that's in it is pretty, they're pretty 100% about it. It's fairly pretty. I mean, I, I've definitely come across like the a state forester or two that is like, I don't know, man, it's just a job. It's fun, but it's just a job. Like yeah. they're not—they're not going beyond the nine to five cents. Yeah, which is well, like that's totally fun. up to them. Whatever. Well, I—I 
I asked because, you know, I talked about this on our, when we were, when we were chatting, but, you know, I grew up in Appalachia, rural West Virginia. And, uh, my uncle who, uh, was sort of like our, our patriarch, he ran a family business. He ran a sawmill. It was a third generation sawmill. And I distinctly remember going with him. He would buy a parcel of property on the side of a mountain or whatever, and he would walk it and he would tag the trees that he wanted to take down for the sawmill. And it didn't occur to me at the time, but he was really a true conservationist because he, he would never clear cut the side of a mountain. He was always very aware of the trees that he took down. And I think you need that today. You know, you need that balance. And I think everybody would just assume he's a logger, you mm-hmm. know, he's bad. He's gonna take he's just gonna take care of it. But he was very, very deliberate and very precise in, in the trees that he took. Yeah. It was it, it's interesting, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean I think a lot of times foresters and loggers are um they're like the biggest they 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 love trees the most, you know, which is from the public's view, it's it's the opposite. You know, you're logging, you're cutting a tree down. These wow. are people that are highly intelligent, especially if you're a forester. I mean, I know several several guys that you, or women that have gone, you know, Yale got their MFA from Yale for forestry, and like they're they're attempting and trying to do really good things with that degree and help bring education, I think, into that field a bit more. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think you can think that. Sorry, I mean, I was just going to say one more thing about the, the clear cutting and selective cutting. And I think visually clear cutting is horrible. Like, right. It, look, it looks gross and you're just decimating an environment, really. But what's I don't know. I'm trying to think about how to say this right, because like my friend that's a forester that works for like a larger corporation, he said like there's no like right answer for when somebody's like, how do we manage this land? Because every landscape is going to be unique and different. You know, you take a forest in New England versus a forest in the Pacific Northwest where you have these extremes of rain for eight months, and then you get four months of just dry heat. And what that does to that landscape versus like what happens in New England where we, you know, we kind of have like a average rainfall throughout the year. And all of that plays into how, you can treat and manage a forest. Yeah. So with the wildfires here in California, we've of course heard Trump say, Oh yeah, all you have to do is sweep, sweep the forest floor. And he's not, he wasn't what completely incorrect. I think that management is a complicated issue, but have you come across learning from the indigenous people, the native American Indians that lived on the land before us, a lot of them did. They were so much more in tune, right, mm-hmm. with the well, that's, that's, with the trees, um, part of nature, and and yeah. sorry, and, and they they actually did do burns. Mm-hmm. They would burn the forest floor and kind yeah. of encourage yeah, they, new growth that way. And it's it is a natural part of the process that we've circumvented. I mean, climate change is is the biggest reason that all yeah. of these fires are happening, but there are other contributing factors. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say. I think like the cultural burnings of like a landscape from an indigenous tribe, that's definitely, that's the major cause of when we get these oak savannas, right? So those oak savannas are most of the time caused by that. It's, that's essentially the forest management plan. You know, they did it for a number of reasons to clear the land, potentially to cut down on fires. I don't know that specifically. They also did it to get larger yields of acorns. You know, in a tight forest, the trees go straight up and they, their canopies aren't large and they can't make 
huge uh, harvests of acorns. Where if oh, you, I never heard of that. If you cool. cut, if you cut all the trees around one singular tree, the tree just grows super wide, and that's how you get those trees in the oak savannas. And that's why if you go to a forest, they don't they look completely different, but the same type of species. Yeah, so that was a that was a major reason. Plus, creating these oak savannas gave really good vantage points for hunting game because it created these like savanna like environments where game could come through they could hide up in a tree or whatever and boom done yeah i don't i don't know enough about the burning aspect and the effects of it but i'm sure that definitely is a contributor to forest management back then Mm -hmm. maybe there is a similar need for it now for sure in that in that realm of doing like these more and more doing the controlled burns um, yeah, nature has its way, I suppose, right? Yeah, and I think like that's wow. yeah. I don't know. You could take that so many different ways of just like let let things happen. Whatever's going to happen, mm-hmm. gonna happen almost, you know. But then then you get into the depressing conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going for <laughs> sure got into that easy, Let's, didn't we? Um, yeah. I'd love to hear. I think we're coming up on time here. I'd love to hear what your what you're thinking of next like where do you see this going or do you do you see yourself branching out into something else as well yeah i mean i think i mean with gathering growth foundation we again we just i mean for myself like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life right and i want to try to figure out how to do it in the most efficient way um eventually i'd love to branch out where like maybe at one point we have a team of photographers working all around the u.s contributing to this archive and it's not just myself uh, we definitely wanted to start bringing in more and more video work to try to tell these stories and hopefully educate and inspire people to take up an initiative you know the same way that i did with this you know it's not like you're trying to change the world you're just trying to do like your part you know and that's kind of how i ended up with photography i was like well this is what i can do um, the same way anybody can call a senator or call a congressman when it comes up to like voting on, Hey, like that tree needs to come down. Well, does it, and let's reassess that. And, you know, you can call somebody about that or just donating to another nonprofit that's doing work that you want to get behind. Um, but I think I, I definitely think with gathering growth, I just want to keep doing it. Um, I want to like keep enhancing the experience of when people come to the website and what they see. I want the archive to continue to grow and, you know, I mean, How about a show? How about an exhibit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to do an yeah. exhibit if anybody else, if anybody out there wants to have a space. I mean, I think during COVID times, it's a little harder. We we know this guy who uh, who runs this thing called the Compound. <laughs> he might really love to have some yeah. of your treats out yeah. there. I think we need to make an introduction. Yeah. I think you know. I know we have to sign off here. But uh, and, and, you know, I wanted to tell you that you're doing uh, some amazing things and I appreciate what you're doing. And I have to tell you that I was disappointed when I was, you know, messing around on your website and I want to buy pictures of these trees that you're taking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why you don't have them on your website. Like I want to have like, I could see having a picture of this amazing elm yeah. and that's a national champion. That tree's yeah, in, yeah. you know, whatever city, whatever state. I just think you should I do know. that. <laughs> we're, we're, okay. Eventually, eventually I want to get some sort of online web store 
that can start doing it. It's just like, again, I, right now it's myself and two other people and we're, we're, we're stretched thin, but that's just an excuse. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully in 2021, we can continue to get funding and keep pushing all these projects and bring on more help and try to make this a bigger and bigger program. Well, we're going to keep watching. Thank you. Yeah, that's exciting. That's yeah. got a lot of great ideas for how to how to evolve this. And yeah, I love the idea, John, of making that. That could be a good way to make some income for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I would love yeah. to do something yeah. with a bunch of photos, even just like leaf prints, just because everybody yeah. be like, oh, that's yeah. my favorite tree and just have like singular leaf or whatever. So yeah, and I can yeah. just imagine you'd have to put it on the right paper mm-hmm. and, you know. Recycled yeah. paper and yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> like a great maybe, project. maybe, maybe print it with an ink that's made out of exactly. algae. Exactly. Something. Yeah. There you go. We'll get, we'll get super oh. environmental on it. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, we know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> we know a guy that makes ink out of algae. So you know, introduce you there yeah. too. Anyway, Brian, thanks so much awesome. for joining us. It was uh, it was so nice to talk with Thank you. you. It's great to meet you. Yeah, keep, can't wait to see what you do next. All Thank right, you. take care. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Brian. You take Later. care now. Wow, John. Again, yeah. another yeah. episode that I'm just blown away by. I wish our viewers could see these photos. We're going to put them on our website. I think that's a great idea. Yes. On the website. So if somebody wants to help them, they can. But beyond anything else, look at those photographs that he's taking of these absolutely majestic trees and yeah. you just people fall in love. So let's do it. Whose job is that going to be, John? Mine or yours? Mm, <laughs> man, it sounds like yours. Sounds like oh, yours. No. <laughs> All right. Damn it. All right. All right so hey, let's, let's talk about little, next week. Yeah. A little teaser for next week. We are talking to a good friend of ours, right, John? Yes, we're going to be talking to Todd Bracher and Tina Chang, right? So these are two designers, but there's so much more than designers. Or, you know, maybe it's not that there's so much more than designers, but they epitomize all that designers can be, right? They talk about truthful design. They are the voices of contemporary culture today, right? Yeah, I absolutely agree. We had a great time with them. We really did. That was another inspirational session for me. I got a lot out of that. Tune in for Todd and Tina's episode. It's going to be really great. If you like Break Some Dishes, you'll like that one.